6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of 2 Timothy, chapters 3 and 4. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for the, this session, this opportunity to explore your word. We pray, Father, you'd open our hearts and lives to the words that Paul had for Timothy in those final hours. We pray, Father, that you would help us through your Holy Spirit to apply this to our own lives and times as we commit ourselves into your hands in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're concluding our study of the letters to Timothy by looking at the final two chapters of the second letter, or final letter, that Paul wrote. And for lack of another title, we'll call this Apostasy in the Last Days. And as most of you realize, of the main epistles, we have uh, Romans uh, and uh, Hebrews as main pillars, but there are actually seven churches that he wrote to, uh, and uh, then there are, and three, <clears throat> three of those were the prison epistles. But it's these three or I should say four letters, actually, that he wrote to the um, pastors. First uh, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. But let's just get, to, again, to give us sort of a refresher perspective of the whole picture. Paul was a major antagonist of the church, held coats while Stephen was stoned. He was converted on the road to Damascus, and was in Damascus three years, during which he went to the Arabian desert for a some indeterminate spell of time where he was instructed by the Lord, apparently. And then he was forced finally to flee Damascus in a basket under attack. He spends the next 10 years in Tarsus, his hometown, where he was originally trained and so forth. 10 years. Until Barnabas seeks him out as he looks for leadership to help the church whose base was primarily in Antioch for the, that whole region. And uh, that led to his first missionary journey. And uh, after that journey completed, we have this main milestone event in Acts 15 called the Council in Jerusalem, which it dealt with these whole issues. What does a Gentile have to do to be, be saved? Does he have to become a Jew to do so? And the answer is no. And uh, then comes the second missionary journey. And it's on that journey that Timothy joins Paul, becomes a major uh, partner of his, then there's a third missionary journey, but it finally turns out that he was arrested in Judea by the Romans to protect him, because there's a big riot, and it becomes very clear to Paul that he's called to the Gentiles, not the Jews. That's where his heart was, is with his own countrymen. But he reluctantly recognizes that he's called to deal with the Gentiles, that it's Peter's call to be the primary reach out to the, to the Jews. But he's in prison in Caesarea for a couple of years. But he finally ultimately appeals, exercises Roman citizenship, which shocks many, many of them, and appeals to Caesar. And uh, he's on his way to Rome. He arranged to go to Caesar on government expense by getting arrested. And he's shipwrecked um, on his way to Rome. He's actually uh, three months there on, the, on Malta where they crashed. And uh, he finally ends up in Rome, and he's in house arrest. 
And uh, it's during that house, and that's where the book of Acts ends. It sort of, it just, it just breaks off about the beginning of that imprisonment. And he, during that imprisonment, he's in house arrest. He's not uh, in, a, in, in, in behind bars, as we would think of it. And it's there that he writes the so-called prison epistles. They're called prison epistles because of that atmosphere, but they're actually, he's actually in a home. And he writes a letter to the Ephesians, to Philippians and Colossians that are three very treasured letters for lots of unique reasons. And, uh, but he finally is acquitted of the charges and he's released. And uh, it's after he re it's released that he wrote a letter to Timothy, his protege that's busy there in Ephesus, and uh, also Titus, which is a very similar letter. Uh, and uh, so, uh, he's, but he's again arrested finally and put in a dungeon. And he knows this is final. And it's during this time, in a real dungeon, under chains and so forth, that he wrote 2 Timothy, his last letter. And uh, so he's in chains, he's treated as a criminal, he has very little light to read by, no sanitation, facing death, but other than that, everything's great. He's having a good time. And he knew his end was near, and it's very interesting, I, I, I continually get fascinated with the reality that under these dark circumstances, he's the one encouraging Timothy. You'd think it'd be the other way around. He'd been deserted by many of his associates in the, in the region. And, uh, but he fr freely forgave them. So it may not be counted against them, but so forth. But still, their cowardly attitude and so forth obviously hurt. He may have forgiven them, but the pain was still there, of course. So last time we talked about the afflictions and activity of the church. Now we're going to shift to the allegiance to the church. It's going to shift to a more positive direction, perhaps. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to talk about apostasy in the last days. In the universe, there is God, and there are people and things. We should worship God, love the people, and use things. If we start worshiping ourselves, ignoring God, and start loving things and using people, we got it all mixed up. That's exactly what we do. That's the formula for a miserable life. Worship ourselves, ignore God, start loving things and using people. Big mistake. We've got the verbs and the predicates uh, a little mixed up there. This is also that in the last days, perilous times will come. You're probably saying, no kidding, Dick Tracy. Yeah, we've got that figured out by now. Perilous times, dangerous, hard to deal with, savage is what the word means. The same word was used to describe the violent demoniacs at Gadara. Same word, perilous. Very, very descriptive word in the Greek. This suggests the violence of the last times will be energized by demons. That's the overtone here. The word perilous implies a demonic participation. And back in Acts chapter 20, Paul previously had warned the Ephesian elders that the apostasy would start even back then. Now it doesn't look like, either from the scripture or from observing, that we're going to see a conversion of the world. We don't think there's a very bright future for the organized church. I'm always reminded by a thing I read when I was a, just a teenager, I think, in some magazine. Um, uh, Satan and another guy were walking down the street. In correction, two guys were walking down the street, and behind them, Satan and this Christian were walking. And up front, one of the two guys gave the other guy some truth. And he watched Satan, Satan didn't do anything. They said to him, did you see what he did? He gave him some truth. And Satan is quoted as saying, don't worry about it. If it gets serious, I'll organize it. So, the last days for Israel. 
the end of the age, the time of the end, the great tribulation, the last days, the last days of the church, immediately preceding the harpazo, the rapture. These are both, in both cases, last, the last days for Israel are described a certain way, the last days of the church a little differently. The Bible does not teach that the church will bring in the millennium and convert the world. That's a misconception that's widely held throughout our, 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 group, our groups and stuff. We're going to instead see 19 descriptions that are going to follow here, which, of course, are appearing today. You want to see what the world's going to be like? Paul is about to describe them to Timothy. They're certainly true then, but you can decide whether they're descriptive of today or not. Paul paints a picture. It's going to get worse, not better. And the heart of every one of the problems he's going to mention is the heart. The heart. Notice the next 19 indicators. He starts in, in uh, verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And he's just getting warmed up here, okay? Lovers of their own self, self-lovers. Covetous, meaning lovers of money is what the word really means. Boasters, swaggers, proud. The very word proud really is the word haughty. Blasphemers, or even more precisely, railers. Disobedient to parents. See, an attacks on the family are part of Satan's strategy. Unthankful, and the word also implies uncourteous, if you will. Unholy or profane. That's all pretty straightforward, isn't it? See, they're actually against God in their conversation and manner of life, both. He continues, next verse, without natural, natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. The list goes on here, see? We're now to number nine. Without natural affection, homosexuality, homosexuality being accepted as normal. See, the great sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality. It was the condoning of homosexuality. It's a judgment of God against a culture that denies him as creator. That's what Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to the end of that chapter spells out. I was startled to discover that. I always thought homosexuality in the individual sense as a sin. Indeed it is. But I never thought of it as a judgment. Because four times in Romans chapter 1, verse 20 and following, four times as God gives them over to that as a judgment. So it really surprised me. In any case, though, we have truce breakers. That's what keeps the lawyers employed, right? And uh, the, ch the change in atmosphere on Wall Street and boardrooms is increasingly obvious. I spent 30 years in, the, in public boardrooms, and uh, it was a different day back then. That was over 17 years ago, so I'm out of date. In those days, there was an ethic that made everything work. That obviously is starting to get very frayed. False accusers, slanderers. And it's disturbing that it's not only a characteristic of our time, it's a characteristic within the body of Christ. There are ministries that continually libel and slander other ministries. They call themselves Christians. There is a procedure in Matthew 18 and elsewhere for you, you bring an elder. We talked about that earlier in, one of the, earlier in the epistles, but... It's um, disturbing to see the flagrant uh, deceits and slander 
on the radio and libel in the print of, 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 by Christians or other Christians. It's absolutely disgusting. That tells you, when A says something about B, it doesn't tell you much about B, it tells you a lot about A. Even within the page of a Christmas problem. Anyway. Incontinent. That, what that really word means is without self-control. Without self-control. That's characteristic of our present society. Continually. Fierce. The word really means savage, untamed, brutal. Doesn't that describe our culture? The news broadcasts are full of the most astonishing misbehavior of people against people. Even our schools are unsafe, even in the daytime. Continues, despisers of those that are good. When people are good, they get despised. That's always disturbing. It's always, in fact, to be more precisely translated, haters of the good. Haters of the good. People who are good are despised by the culture, by the media, what have you. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Traitors are really betrayers, is what it really means. And um, there are some people you wouldn't trust, even those that are in the body of Christ. That's disturbing to realize that that's just, that's just reality. Heady, it is heady, that's really uh, reckless, if you will. High-minded, again, that's a pride issue, blinded by pride or conceited. Lovers of pleasures more than the lovers of God. Boy, how many of us are, are guilty of that. Characteristic of our whole age. We're the entertainment society. Measure the budgets for entertainment and compare them with charitable commitments. It's a joke. It's a joke. You have to move the decimal place three, you know, four or five times probably in the comparison. Having a form of God in us but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Having a form of godliness, we, we may probably weren't counting, but that's 19 specific attributes that Paul warned Timothy about, but I think all of us realize they're characteristic of today, and, it's, and not only that, it's getting worse. We're not only decaying, the rate of decay is accelerating. But denying, form, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of, boy, that's our churches. We have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. The power is in the blood. You don't hear the blood preached, the blood of Christ. From such, turn away. Rituals without reality, without life. If you're in a dead, cold, liberal church, and if you're a real believer, what are you doing there? The Word of God says to avoid such things. I know many of my good friends of the past um, felt that the church they're in was their ministry. They saw they were fully aware of its deficiency and its problems of major denominational church, the social church of that particular area we lived in at that time, and they were there in the hopes of somehow making a difference. And 20 years later, attending the national conventions of that denomination for that church and being very active, virtually ready to give up. They accomplished zero. It's really kept them from being fruitful in many ways. From such turn away, the scripture says. For of this sort are they that creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. How do they creep into houses? Shall I tell you how? On television channels. Seriously. Lives evidence the real condition. 
Never matured, lives unchanged is the description here. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, those are the names of the two priests that were with Pharaoh in the confrontation with Yule Brenner there in Exodus uh, chapter 20. Okay. And I'm kidding, of course, about that. Not Exodus 20 and 12. Actually, Exodus earlier, uh, 10, 11, 12. Janus and Jambres. Apparently, these were the names of the magicians that many people ask questions about that. Did they, you know, what about these snakes? Okay, Moses took a staff down and became a snake. They did the same thing. Well, everybody assumes that was just parlor tricks of some kind. Until Moses' snake ate theirs. What's that? Sounds like, it sounds like a folk tale or a fable. No, this is the word of God we're talking about. What people don't make allowances for is that Satan is capable of miracles. Miraculous works. We're not ready for that. We always assume if it's a miracle, it's all of God. Not necessarily. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate according to faith. And uh, now, this is Exodus 7 and 8 that we have Janus and Jambres. And they actually did miracles. And there was, when they finally got to the lice thing, and that's when they couldn't, that's when they went to, Pharaoh panicked. Because they realized that Moses' ma magic was way beyond theirs. And that gets into a whole study of Egyptology. I won't take the time here. But you can get into our Exodus commentary if you want. Satan does miracles. And on top of that, he is the great imitator. Most Christians underestimate the degree to which Satan himself intervenes and manipulates in your life. He can, you know, he, I don't think he can read minds, but he can plant thoughts. Only God knows the thoughts and tents of the heart, the scripture tells us. Well, I get that. That's another question I get a lot. Can Satan read our minds? I don't think so. He probably is a great observer, and he can draw a lot of good inferences. But I don't believe he, only God knows the thoughts and tents of the heart. But he certainly can plant issues. Reprobate concerning the faith, tested and found counterfeit. That's what reprobate concerning the faith Found counterfeit, boy. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly will be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. See, Paul's life, in contrast, was an open book, as every Christian's life ought to be, an open book. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, and patience. He's, Timothy was his partner. They traveled together. He knew him well. But, you know, it, it, as Paul talks about his own personal profile here, it would be a very interesting exercise for a student to draw up a resume of Paul. You know, compare his resume to somebody you might be thinking of hiring for a position in ministry. He had an extensive prison record. He had a physical affliction, made it hard to read. He stirred up problems wherever he went. There were uprisings. He was poor. He did not cater to the rich. And so forth. You go, it'd be fun to go through life and put that resume together. It's, it's pretty funny. What are the characteristics of a good leader? Well, he's got to be able to teach godly principles. He's got to be a teacher. He's got to be a communicator. And he must know the scriptures. He must be able to teach godly principles. That's one of the requirements of a good leader. He must conduct himself in a manner that glorifies God. These are pretty basic you must have a personal mission statement which lines up with God's will. 
What's your mission statement? Do you have a mission statement? Draft one. Write, write a note to yourself and, and, and you know, evaluate your uh, gifts according to this list. Your teaching skills. Do you have them? Do you know? Have you tried? Do you conduct yourself in a way that glorifies God? Do you have a personal mission statement at all? Encourage that. And of course, you must be a man of faith, which also implies you're a man of prayer. Do you really spend serious time in prayer? Or is it a quick 15 minutes here and 15 minutes there and that's it and on you go? Or do you have a specific serious regimen of prayer? Are you sensitive to God's timing or are you in a hurry? You know, that's, that's, I'm a Peter, ready, fire, aim, you know, and shoot first and think about it later kind of guy. And I got to watch that. And, of course, love. If you want to understand more about that, my wife's got written a fabulous book. It's gone all over the world. In fact, it's even in Target, I understand. Yeah. The Way of Agape now is in Target drugstore. Um, perseverance. Another way of saying the same thing, he knows that God is in control. That gives you perseverance. You know, it's interesting. I've, I've spent 30 years in the corporate management world, and I've read a lot of books and studies about success. And there's one one attribute that is always at the head of the list of any serious study. There have been many of them, and they all agree. It's not intelligence. It's not education. There's a whole bunch of good things to have, but they're not at the top of the list. The main thing that distinguishes a winner in, in management, what have you, is perseverance, stick-to-itiveness, people who go the course. And uh, that's high on any, anybody, any serious list. And there's other characters, a good leader, persecution, sufferings, and so forth. Jesus promised that, that would come. In the infantry, they'll tell you, stay away from the tanks. Because that tanks will draw the heavy fire, okay? If you're on foot near one of those, be careful. You may have to be, but I mean, what I'm saying is that uh, the bigger the tank, the heavier, uh, heavier shells that are being aimed at it, so to speak. Persecuting suffering. If you're not persecuting suffering, is there some strange reason, maybe? You're not, you're not, you're not a threat to Satan, I guess. That could be the answer. Anyone that doesn't believe in Satan should try opposing him for a while. Yep. So, Paul makes that remark. Even though I had, I had those characteristics, I still suffered. In other words, just because you have all these characteristics doesn't mean you'll be spared persecution and sufferings. He continues, verse 11, Persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. That was Paul's claim. At Lystra, by the way, we talk about suffering. He was left for dead. He was stoned and left for dead. Some scholars even think he may have died and been resurrected. That's a speculation. Who knows? And so uh, that God raised him. He could have. Maybe he did. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's a promise you can count on. Yes, even here in America. It's going to cost to be a Christian. Even here in America. It's been a free ride for a long time. Those days are ending. Melvin Laird, former Secretary of Defense, got a very interesting quote picked up from him. In this world, it's becoming more and more unpopular to be a Christian. Soon it may become dangerous. He said this several decades ago, and it's becoming true. And what about persecution? How do you persecute a group? There's a classic five-step program to persecute a group. It's worth understanding. How do you persecute a group? Well, first you have to identify your target group. Who are you going to persecute? You've got to identify who they are. Okay. 
then you need to marginalize that group. Make them somehow distinctive and separate and marginalized. Then you start vilifying this target group. Then you pass laws against the beliefs or activities of that target group. And then you simply enforce the laws. That's the way the Nazis did it to the Jews in Germany. Identified them, of course. They marginalized them. Then they vilified them. Then they passed laws against those things which the Jews did. And then they enforced the laws. When the Gestapo broke down the door of the home in the middle of the night and took away the head of the family down into prison, they were not breaking the law. They were enforcing it. That was not an unlawful act. By then they had so many rules and laws and stuff, they could do anything. Anyway. Verse 13, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Seducers, also the term means imposters, leading many astray. And I'm going to suggest that includes presidents and congressmen, what have you. No one's immune. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. That's your anchor. See, adults need guidance even more than children do. Did you know that? Because their opportunities and perils are far more significant. So they need guidance even more. The more opportunities you have, the more guidance you need. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What, what a wonderful thing. Timothy had, been, had grown from a child. He knew his scriptures. He may have been a, a little timid. He may have a little been a little standoffish. But he was well grounded. So Paul put him to good use. The only antidote against all of these things is the Word of God. The only antidote is against the Word of God. And it's the extensive biblical illiteracy within the body of Christ that has caused the Coin Institute to be formed. A think tank for any Christian that is serious about being an ambassador can be participant in it. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Timothy. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, please visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music